Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Wednesday, December 15th edition of the Basement Academy. Our march towards Christmas Day continues, and I'm glad for a few minutes to, to share uh, some continued thoughts uh, about the Incarnation. Trying to build on yesterday, kind of a struggling, stumbling expression yesterday around the mystery of the Incarnation and the Beatles. <laughs> and if you didn't watch yesterday, go do that. <laughs> uh, let's start with the morning psalm. Psalm 15, a short psalm, kind of interesting. It talks about coming into the presence of God and, and what that's like and, and who can do it. <clears throat> this is a psalm of David. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? He whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart and has no slander on his tongue, who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow man, who despises a vile man but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his oath even when it hurts, who lends his money without usury and does not accept a, a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. Psalm 15. Isn't that something? Well, it's a question that is asked, who can dwell in the sanctuary in God's presence? And then it describes such a person well, that leaves us out, right? Well, it certainly leaves me out. <laughs> I don't know about you. But you go through the blameless, the righteous, no slur on his tongue, etc. Well, thanks be to God for Jesus the Christ, whose birth we celebrate. The perfect man who is able to enter into the very presence of God, uh, taking his blood, not didn't have his own sins to atone for, but can atone for the sins of others. So... It's an interesting psalm, but it calls us forward. It calls us in, and it's a call to humility. So, Lord, hear our prayer as we seek to dwell in your presence through Jesus Christ. Okay, reflecting on the incarnation again. <clears throat> what I'm trying to get at, um, and I realize I'm probably working my own stuff out here. I don't know if I'm speaking to anybody else or for anybody else. But I've always, I don't say always, uh, for a long time I've been troubled by kind of the cultural thing that is Christmas. Um, I loved it, loved it, loved it as a kid, came to faith in Christ in college, and at that moment Christmas took on a very different meaning. It wasn't just toys and stuff and Santa and goodies. It was, oh. And I would say over time, that initial sense of awe and wonder that I felt as a new believer, um, I remember going to a Christmas Eve service, I stumbled into a Catholic church because I didn't know where else to go. <laughs> and, uh, you know, little do I know that, uh, you know, you're not supposed to take communion. So I went and took communion, you know, and they didn't deny me. So I have taken communion in the Catholic church. St. Timothy's over in uh, Chantilly, Virginia. Um, but over time, you know, just as I grow, kind of gets the, the, 
that experience has gotten layered over with the cultural stuff. So I'm trying to recover, maybe in my own life, the mystery of the incarnation. But but I'm wanting to. I'm assuming this is probably some of this is true for you as well. That that there's just all the 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 the, the event overwhelms us, and and it is not always as faith as deeply moving from a faith experience. And so this word mystery itself, just to just to tease that out a little bit, it's a word that kind of works in two different directions. Now, uh, we think mystery, we think of something that's hidden, that's not known, um, kind of wonder what's going on, like a whodunit, okay? So, you know, we like mystery movies, mystery novels. Something has happened and the mystery is who did it? How did it happen? And so there's a whole genre, right? Uh, that, that we call mystery um, literature or, or movies and the like. And so we puzzle, we, there's clues, we're, we're trying to, to figure it out, okay? So there's that side of mystery, the, the hiddenness of it, okay? But there's another side of mystery in the scriptures. It talks about the mystery of Christ that has now been made known. I'm thinking like Ephesians, we're going to get to this in a few weeks on Sunday mornings after Christmas as we continue our study we're going to see the mystery of Christ that the Gentiles are fellow heirs with the Jews this was hidden for a while it wasn't known wasn't seen as clearly in the Old Testament it seems like the Jews and the Gentiles are against each other and God's against the Gentiles no 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 God's plan all along was to bring the Gentiles in so mystery in a biblical sense is something that is formerly hidden, now made known. And so there's a, a, a revealing, a, a, a becoming known. There's kind of an aha experience that like, I see it now. So Paul expresses the mystery of Christ that the Gentiles are fellow heirs with the Jews. So there's kind of a theological side to this. So, so kind of culturally mystery is something that's not known, but, but when you figure it out, that's that's the other side of the mystery. So it's really two sides of the same coin, a hiddenness and a made knownness, right? Does that, does that make sense? There, there's something that's, that's not seen and understood, and then it is seen and understood, okay? So there's the, the two sides to the mystery. But there's a ton of emotion that gets tucked into that. There, there's It's kind of fun trying to figure a mystery out, right? That's why we like mystery movies and mystery novels. We, we like trying to put on our own little Sherlock Holmes sleuthing hat and kind of tease it out and, you know, looking for clues. And, you know, in the first part of the movie, I'll look at Chris and I'll say, okay, I think it's this guy. I think he did it, you know. And there's something fun about that. It draws us in. So the hiddenness, there's something in us that, that, that kind of eagerly enjoys and is drawn into the hiddenness of it. <clears throat> and then when the, the reveal comes, you know, we, we're kind of like, I got it or I didn't or, oh, I can't believe I missed that. So, you know, so just at, at that level, very, you know, mundane level, there's a emotion tied into it. So I've been thinking about Christmas and, and 
our emotions around Christmas uh, I, I kind of evolve or they go through stages. You know, when you're a little child, Christmas is just everything, right? Because the tree is bigger than life. You're just, you're little and everything is big. You know, you're a little person and that big tall tree and then the Christmas pageant and there's just all this wonder and joy and you get all kinds of cool stuff. <laughs> and so there's excitement and energy and anticipation. And I would characterize all those as kind of hope. You know there's a payoff. There's, you know there's good things that are involved in Christmas. So all of that excitement pays off. Um, the anticipation as the first gifts start showing up under the tree for the child. And, you know, I was one of those ones I would run around and I'd kind of shake it a little bit and I'd listen and try to figure out, the, again, the mystery, what's in that package, trying to, trying to tease it out. Um, the teenage years, Christmas is, has a different set of emotions. There, there's a, a tinge or a vestige of childhood excitement, you know, because we're going to get stuff. You know, you know, you're starting to grow up when you're no longer asking for toys and you're asking for clothes and things like that because you want to be cool. And, and cool comes into play for a lot of teenagers and college students. And so the, the family Christmas experience for, you know, those with, with that age uh, child is different. You know, the, the, the teenagers not always wanting to get up at 4.30 in the morning to go down and see what Santa brought uh, the teenager wants to sleep in. Do I have to? You know, there's sometimes a little sense of obligation that kind of comes in. And and so the, the, the teenager, you know, sometimes is borderline annoyed by Christmas and all the falderall. And, oh, we've got to go to grandma's house when I want to go be with my friends, you know. And so there's some of that that, that, that plays in as, as it evolves. Then the young adult who's moved out and on their own, they're finding their own rhythms and practices. And I remember my first Christmas away from my family, my mom and dad living out in Kansas. And, you know, you wake up on Christmas morning and it's kind of weird. There's a homesickness, you know, a little ennui. Uh, it's a little existential feeling of, you know, gee, this is a morning I'm supposed to be with family. I'm supposed to be somewhere else. And so some of those young adult years, you know, before you're being married and, and, and you know, setting up your own, own traditions. Um, and then, you know, come the uh, children. Uh, for those who are married and have children, those as parents, you know, th then, then you reinvest in the fun and the excitement because um, you're now creating this or participating in this joy as children, so you start to relive your own childhood. The things I enjoyed, I want to provide for my children, right? So, so you know, life starts to circle itself, right? You know, starts to come full circle as you are now providing the experience that you once had, the, the best parts of that. Um, and, and there's exhaustion too, right? <laughs> Let's not forget that for the, for the parents, you know, trying to assemble the toys and get everything done and blah, blah, blah. And then as we age and the kids grow up and the kids move out, I think Christmas begins to evoke not so much anticipation looking forward, but it's now memories. It's memories of childhood past. It's memories, you know, our parents often leave us, you know, they're deceased. And so there's some emotion and 
you know, remembrance going on there. Nostalgia is probably the, I guess that's a, it's a word, maybe it describes an emotion, nostalgic feelings. There's memories, nostalgia. A lot of times a sense of loss creeps in uh, for older adults. Um, the, the passage of time, uh, memories of Christmas past, of simpler times uh, when the children were around, and sometimes the grandchildren, you know, the children and grandchildren come around, but not always. And so we go through these, this interesting evolution of emotion around the event of Christmas. And so what I would, what I would reflect on is that most of our emotions, I, I would offer this to you for your consideration, that most of our emotions around Christmas are mostly on a horizontal plane. And by that, I mean directed at other people, okay? Or, you know, kind of the material world. So for the children, it's the stuff and it's the things and it's mommy and daddy and it's Santa and the elves and all that stuff. And then it's, you know, the teenagers, you know, annoyed with mom and dad who want me to get on the phone and talk to grandma who lives on the other side of the country and stuff like that. Um, that they're a horizontal set of emotions. They're related to ourselves in relationship with other people. What is often absent in Christmas are the vertical emotions. And those are Godward emotions directed at, at God. The mystery of this thing, the birth of Jesus, the mystery of the incarnation. And so Christmas, it's a very emotional time, an emotional season with, with a variety of emotions. But in my own experience, few of them are really directed vertically godward okay and i don't mean that that you know going to church isn't godward right we come we sing the songs but many times singing the christmas carols evokes for us memories of christmas past when we would gather with our families or we would go christmas caroling as families and krista and i were talking about that some things we did when our children were very young on Christmas Day to go serve others um, in a shelter and things like that. And it's the vertical component here that I'm trying to get at. When I talk about recovering the mystery of the incarnation, it's these vertical emotions. The awareness of God. So when I came to faith in Christ as a college student and then scratching out a place to go for for um uh for christmas eve service this i think is what i was trying to get at yesterday that somehow in watching this beatles documentary i would i did not go into that expecting to have uh an incarnational encounter to recognize that I'm on holy ground. And I found myself yesterday struggling to put it into words. If you listened yesterday, you know what I'm talking about. I, I, I couldn't get at it. And I, I'm thinking maybe that's part of it. That's the, that's what, that's, there's a hiddenness and a revealedness that's in it. That there's something in this experience of watching the Beatles, you know, create this music. And I was just <sighs> vertical mystery. Uh, and by that, I mean, you know, this awareness of 
God has come close to us in Jesus Christ. God has come. And that, that first love, that first awareness, recalling those, those, those emotions of wonder and awe and majesty and humility. And I don't even know how to express it. It's trying to express the inexpressible. The shepherds, as they're, what is going on? These angels are appearing to us and they're singing about Bethlehem and the wise men see this star and they, what they've longed for all these years. Well, let's go talk to Herod. Let's, let's go find out, you know, where is the king of the Jews? You know, they're not aware that they're talking to Herod who's paranoid, you know, and going to try to kill this little baby. They're just drawn by the star. The shepherds are drawn to the angel's song and they go and they must find these things. And they tell Mary everything they'd seen and heard. You're not going to believe it. We, these angels came to us and said, you know. And so that vertical awe and wonder, I had an experience of that watching that Beatles documentary. That <laughs> they, they were akin, they were adjacent emotions, watching creation watching a word take flesh, a, a lyric and a melody take flesh. I know it so well, but I'm watching it take shape and I was just moved by that. And so there was something in the revealing side of the mystery in watching that video or that, that uh, documentary. There was a, this is something like, it's, it, it's, it's kind of like, this spiritual experience when that which was not known to me a Christmas for you know two decades 20 years of my life Christmas had nothing to do with God it had everything to do with me and my stuff and my wants and my desires and then it became all about God it became all about Jesus and who cares about the stuff the tinsel and the trees and the presents it's Jesus <laughs> and and then over time that tempers that that awe, that wonder, that I see it, you know, I see what, what Christmas is finally. And that tempers over time. And so I think I'm probably trying to recover it for myself and, and maybe I'm not alone. Um, but, but this holy ground experience, would that our Christmas morning be a holy ground experience. Take off your sandals, Moses. Take off your shoes. This is holy ground. I had that watching that documentary. You know, goosebumps at some point. Just, I'm watching it happen. I wish I had that same awe and wonder on Christmas morning, right? That, that's So the, the awe, the joy in, in, in this kind of vertical awareness. And, and so... I've used this phrase the last couple of days, taking things for granted. We just, I just take things for granted. They've always been there, right? Christmas has always been there in my life. It's always been there in your life, right? The, 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 the church and the, and the world has been practicing Christmas at some level for a couple thousand years, marking the birth of Jesus. But it has taken on particular cultural expressions. And, and we know the various traditions change from culture to culture. We, we know that. We've, we've heard some of those. You know, in Scandinavia, you know, they celebrate St. Lucia's Day. Um, I think it's, was that just a couple days ago on the 13th? Um, and, and so, you know, St. Nicholas Day and all these others, you know, 
traditions. But Christmas has always been there. We just take it for granted. And I don't want to take Christmas for granted. I don't want to take the incarnation for granted. I want there to be wonder and awe and mystery and joy and hope and and a sense of anticipation that, and this is what Advent is. Advent is not just looking back at when he came. It's looking forward. He's coming again. Advent from the word arrival or coming in Latin. And so, anyway, I think that's, that's what I'm trying to get at here uh, in, in this week and next week. And, and, and so, excuse the autobiographical nature of this, you know, me trying to unpack my own <clears throat> set of emotions and thoughts. But my guess is that there's probably something in here for, for you as well. So I want to close with, with two passages, and we'll, we'll, we'll try to tease these out over the next couple days. We don't typically think of these as Christmas passages. They're not from the Gospels. From the book of Colossians, chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God. Talking about Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Wow. He is the image of the invisible God. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. So it's not just an incarnational text. It is that. But there's clearly a redemptive text about his, he's the firstborn from the dead and he reconciles through his cross. And so you've got kind of the, the full resume of Jesus Christ right here. His birth, his death, his resurrection, his exaltation. He is above all things. He is before all things. He's in all things. He's through all things. And so that is a text for me that helps to recover some of this mystery that when that little baby was born, all the fullness of God was dwelling in him. Wow. And then in the book of Hebrews, the first chapter, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. There's that theme again of Jesus being the agent of creation. Verse 3, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. 
Again, the full resume. He is the exact representation of God's being. And then when he made purification for sin, he now sits down. So you've kind of got the whole incarnation, death, resurrection, exaltation in just a few sentences. These passages would not exist if Jesus had not been born and Jesus had not been, is, would, not have, would not be the very son of God who taught and lived and died and rose. And so there's something in these passages that, that capture for me something beyond the Christmas stories we normally read in Luke chapter 1 and 2. We're so familiar with those passages, we conjure up Christmas pageants. <laughs> Whereas a Colossians and a Hebrews take us a new direction. So uh, we'll, we'll tease this out uh, some more tomorrow. Hopefully you can go read these passages. Colossians chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the goodness of this holy season that exists because of the birth of Jesus, whether it was on December 25th or March 18th. Lord, we thank you that you sent your son to be the exact representation of your being in whom the fullness of God dwelt. Help us to recover the mystery, the wonder, the awe, the joy, the hope, the anticipation and help us to enjoy our families too and all of these uh, gatherings that, that, that await us in these next couple of weeks. And so, Father, continue to lead us in this discipleship path as we follow this one whom we call Lord, even Jesus, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May God bless you with awe and wonder and joy and hope through Jesus Christ our Lord this day and forevermore. Amen.